This is Chris Payne from Euclid, Ohio, and you are listening to Barbecue Central. We'll do it live. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and... Oh. Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. Good evening and welcome to the Really Big Barbecue Central Show. This is the show that talks about all things important in the world of barbecue and grilling. I originate from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio. Widely considered to be the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I am your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday evening. If you want to get in touch with the show this evening, it's a phone call, 216-220-0966. If you would rather forego the hotline number and shoot me an email, you can do that as well. You can get in touch with the show by sending an email to greg at bbqcentralshow.com or on the Twitter and Instagrams at bbqcentralshow. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. And here's what's happening in case you didn't get the newsletter. Coming up in about 13 minutes from now, if you are a avid listener of this show, whether it be in the live state or in podcast form, and by the way, there could be some kind of an iTunes issue with the podcast, which I'm not exactly sure why that's happening. But I got an incredibly weird email from iTunes telling me that they were ripping the feed off. There wasn't a lot of great information. I don't know if it was a phishing scam or not. But when I started to get on iTunes and relook for the show, it wasn't really showing up. You had to do a whole different search through under the files tab. There's subscribe to podcast, put in the feed, and then it would generate. But just searching in through the iTunes store through the podcast, it wasn't coming up. So I'm not sure exactly what's going on with that. I am looking into it, and I guess we'll see tomorrow when the first hour of the show is supposed to post if it is indeed there or if it is indeed not there, and we'll fix it accordingly. You can always get it on the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. That is the main clearinghouse for anything related to the show, audio, video, and or otherwise. But if you are a fan of this show, The last number of weeks, I have been talking specifically about the Barbecue Hall of Fame and, in specific, the fact that I had got my hands on the final nominees list for the class of 2018 from No Names, Please. And we went over that list in depth last week with the Embedded Correspondence segment. We all had our pick of three. But there was a name that came up that I had no idea who this person was. I'm not going to make it a secret. It is Columbus Hill. Couldn't really find a lot about this person. So started doing a little internet research. The Embedded Correspondence also took that task as well. And then I believe David Huff or Steve Ray had forwarded me some very brief penned articles 
from who will be my first segment guest, Adrian Miller, the soul food scholar about Columbus Hill and when he actually existed on this earth many, many, many years ago, 1800s, when he came into prominence, probably before that as well, but just not a lot of history on him. And I said, you know what? This is probably a great time to look at some of those nominees, also try and get some actual Hall of Fame members of 2018 booked here in the coming weeks as well. I'll talk about that here in a second. So joining me in about 10 minutes from now is the soul food scholar himself. He's a lawyer. He's a Stanford graduate. He's very accomplished professionally, and he's a culinary historian, and he will tell us all we want to know about one Columbus Hill, and if he should indeed be in the Hall of Fame, perhaps he should already be in the Hall of Fame. And we might also talk about the Hall of Fame in general, trade ideas, thoughts, and or otherwise, criticisms. So that's Adrian Miller, first time into the show, coming up here out of the next break. And then at 9.35, again, if you're a fan of the show, Round about this time of year, we pump the brakes on the barbecue and grilling talk for a segment and dive into type 1 diabetes, uh, juvenile type 1 diabetes, specifically with, in the past, my cousin, Scott Volpe. This year, my main man, Ben Volpe, will be taking the mic and doing it all himself in the 935 segment. He's got the big fundraising walk for... uh, J-R-D-F on June 10th. I've been hyping it on my Facebook page. He is in fundraising mode, so I'm going to appeal to you to A, if you're watching on the Facebook page, and hopefully the correspondents are pumping up the links right now to uh, A, either the Facebook page, donation page, or the uh, J-R-D-F website, whichever one you want to use. I would really like to get him to gold tonight. I know typically we have a couple thousand views here on Facebook. So if you could hit that link, you know, five bucks, 10 bucks, 100 bucks, I have put it out there for the first person to do a singular donation of $500 and you prove it one time only. I will match your $500 donation. We will do $1,000 all by ourselves, you and me. But how great would it be to get him to that $6,000 goal that is sitting on the uh, main JDRF website? JDR, yeah, JDRF website. And have that all washed out here before the end of our two hours together. So I, again, appeal to you and your uh, charitable side, whatever you can muster. Let's go ahead and do some fundraising. Embedded correspondence, if you're watching and you're able to keep track, give me some kind of a tote and or tally. If you do the Facebook side of it, shout out Barbecue Central Show. Let's go ahead and make sure that everybody knows that the Central Lights are coming out in full force. I mean, we're not like, look at me, look at me, but I want to know that you guys are picking me up and helping me out here. I don't try and come out to you guys and ask for a lot, but in this particular case, I mean, it does hit home for me because this is my cousin who I grew up with. Uh, this is his son, his oldest son, going through it, so he's going to tell us about the whole deal at 9.35, and then we'll move on to the second hour. We'll keep fundraising going through the second hour. So once again, hit up that Facebook page or hit up that main Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation page and donate early and often. At 10.14, we will be rejoined. I am running him up for two weeks in a row. He is the Texas correspondent for the show, but he is also a Traeger pitmaster. Doug Scheiding will be joining me 
Also the pitmaster of uh, Row Cookers, by the way, which is the T-shirt I'm wearing this evening. A lot of people took me to task last week about the show Karma not being real because Melissa Cookson didn't win Memphis in May two weeks ago. But I'll have you know that Doug Scheiding did this show last Tuesday, didn't ask for anything, no promo, didn't say he was going out to do a contest that following weekend, which was last weekend, Memorial Day weekend, summarily took a third place overall. So you tell me the show Karma isn't real. Did he win? No. But he didn't even ask for it. It just happened. It attached third place. Can you imagine if he would have promoted? Definitely would have won away with Grand Championship. No doubt about it. So Doug Scheiding, 1014. And then 1035, a late book. And once again, kind of breaking news here. I had mentioned to you previous to Memphis in May that it looked like Kingsford, the charcoal titan, was getting into the cooking wood pellet business. And then it was a little more reaffirmed last week when I saw a bag of Kingsford pellets out there around Memphis in May. And then I did a little bit more digging and booked the corporate strategist for Trey Fuels. That is the company that indeed has secured the wood pellet manufacturing for the Kingsford pellet run into the market. So not only is it Kingsford the charcoal titan, now they are making the foray into the wood pellet business as well. So what is that? How does that contract happen? How does that relationship start? And of course, because there aren't, I guess, a huge amount of pellet manufacturers out there in the market today, but there are certainly a number of them. And the ones that are existing out there really doing a good job. Obviously, one of the big sponsors here of this show, Cooking Pellets, uh, does it probably better than anybody out there right now. You have Candy Weaver, Barbecuers Delight, Green Mountain Grills makes their own as well. Uh, plus, there's some other pellet makers out there. So getting into that side of it, uh, Kingsford didn't decide to take it in-house. Uh, we'll talk to, I'm sorry, by the way, that is uh, Chris LaRocco will be joining us, corporate strategist Trey Fuels, to close out the show. But why didn't they take it in-house? I don't know if they're not necessarily set up for that, be able to do that type of manufacturing so they farm it out to a partner. Love to know the business of barbecue, right? Absolutely. So Chris will help us close out the show at 1035. 216-220-0966. Greg at thebbqcentralshow.com is the way to get in touch with me. Let me talk to you quickly about Southside Market and Barbecue. Attention, anyone who loves sausage or and barbecue, because they kind of go hand in hand. What do you know about Southside? Established in 1882, Southside is the oldest barbecue joint in Texas and has been owned and operated by the same family for three generations. Famous for their original beef sausage, coarse ground in a natural pork casing, and the authentic Central Texas barbecue. All meats, including the prime briskets, are slow smoked for many hours over real Texas post-oak wood. They ship nationwide via the online store, southsidemarket.com. They ship fresh and smoked sausages nationwide. Shipping customers can choose to order now and ship later, include custom gift notes, and mail to multiple addresses without additional shipping charges. All shipped items are vacuum sealed to ensure freshness and ease of preparation for the customer. Shipped with dry ice to ensure complete freshness upon arrival. 
All meats are processed in the on-site USDA-inspected facility. The on-site meat markets for fresh and smoked products can be ordered. You can also talk to them about custom orders as well. If you're going to be in Elgin or Bastrop, check out the restaurants. You're going to want to do that. Also, grocery distribution through Texas and many surrounding states. And if you're somebody who's thinking about adding a little custom sausage to your arsenal, but you don't want to have to go through the R&D, Southside Market's wheelhouse right here, okay? They can give you the sausage. Then you, in turn, will not give it to you, but you buy it. Their sausage already made. You package it. They'll work with you on that aspect. So now you can have Barbecue Central sausage, but it's really Southside's beef sausage. You can put it in your food truck. You can put it in your pop-up. You can put it in your brick-and-mortar restaurant. If you have really good barbecue and you want to pair it with a really good sausage, this is the opportunity to do it. Online orders, 10% off if you use coupon code BBQCentral, all one word. That's BBQCentral for 10% off all of your orders at SouthsideMarket.com. It's fun and exciting. You got to love it. Get the beef sausage if you haven't had it. I'm telling you, it is it, it is a unique taste. And sometimes when you say unique taste, it's not that good. This is a unique taste in all of the good ways. Adrian Miller, Columbus Hill, out of the break. Stick around. Be right back. Casting live from the Barbecue Central Show studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. This portion of the show is being brought to you by Butcher Barbecue, makers of award-winning injections, marinades, rubs, seasonings, barbecue sauces, and grilling oils. All of Butcher Barbecue products have been tested on the competition circuit as well as in backyards worldwide, actually in my backyard just this past weekend. Be the pit master of your neighborhood, the king of your cul-de-sac. Visit ButcherBBQ.com and stock up now. That's ButcherBBQ.com. Always trust your butcher. All right, in the newsletter earlier today, I said that I had become somewhat intrigued with one of the 2018 Barbecue Hall of Fame nominees, Columbus Hill. Mostly because I really never have heard of him before. There was not a lot of information that was, let's say, readily available. And what I did find was written by my first guest. He's a Stanford University graduate and also a graduate of Georgetown University's law program. He's practiced law in Denver and has also worked for President Bill Clinton. He's also a certified barbecue judge, perhaps. One of the smartest people to ever grace the Barbecue Central Show airwaves and video waves. Let's go ahead and race to the hotline. And welcome first-timer to the show, Adrian Miller. Hey, can you hear me? I can hear you, Adrian. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have uh, your camera up so we can see your beautiful face? Oh, yeah. Just a second. Sorry about that. That'll help with the video side. Here we go. Yeah. Here we go. Oh. There he is. Look at this guy. All right, Adrian. So I had contacted you specifically um, about a article 
actually it was a pair of articles that you had written about Columbus Hill a number of years ago, actually. And uh, the impetus, of course, was the fact that I had somehow gotten my hands, no names please, on the 2018 nominees for the Barbecue Hall of Fame this year. Those three have been awarded, Tuffy Stone, Tootsie Tominance, and um, the guy from Rendezvous, Charlie Virgos. Uh, sorry for okay. having that. So those are confirmed now. It was the day after my show last Tuesday. But Columbus Hill was a name that I really hadn't seen. There were a few of those names on that list that I was familiar with just in a cursory sense. So I wanted to spend some time in this segment talking about Columbus Hill and what you found out about him. But before we get into that, can we get a little background on you professionally and maybe if you're a guy that's into that barbecue and grilling scene as well? Yeah, so I have a sordid background. Uh, I actually am a lawyer by training. And then I went into politics. I worked in the Clinton White House on something called the Initiative for One America. It was an outgrowth of Clinton's uh, initiative on race. And the whole idea was if people just got together and talked, we might realize we have a lot more in common than what supposedly divides us. Uh, Then I moved back to Colorado um, and was in politics for another decade or so. And then I got this crazy idea to write a book on the history of soul food, which I did. And to research that, I needed to eat my way through the country. So I went to 150 soul food restaurants in 35 cities and 15 states. Wow. Uh, and that book came out in 2013, and I was lucky enough to win the James Beard Award for that book. Um, and then I, uh, my current job is with the Colorado Council of Churches, which is bringing churches together to do social justice work. And last year, I wrote my second book on African-American presidential chefs. And my next book is going to be on African-American barbecue culture. And along the way, I became a certified barbecue judge with the Kansas City Barbecue Society. So, so that is a sordid background and, and a very accomplished background. Let me ask you a question that we could probably veer off and never get back on track by asking this question. But, you know, when I travel the mean streets of downtown Cleveland, few places hang the moniker Soul Food above the restaurant. Right. So right. How, do, how does one classify soul food? Do you just get totally stereotypical and say it's ribs and chicken uh, or is there or in greens or is there a, a, more of a rooted diversity in soul food or something specific that makes it soul food? Yeah. So soul food has a lot of overlap with Southern food, which I think is what creates a confusion. But um, I think soul food is a more intense version of Southern food. So it's going to be spicier, have more fat, more flavor. Um, and uh, usually features more of the variety meats and um, kind of more poverty in, uh, image ingredients, although soul food is much more complex than that. But that's the image people have. And I argue that soul food is really the celebration of the food that black migrants took to other parts of the country. Um, and when you think of immigrant food in other cultures, it's usually their celebration food. So the ribs, the fried chicken, the glorious cakes and cobbler, you know, that wasn't everyday food. That was once in a while food. And so soul food is really a hybrid of everyday and, and once in a while food. And But the difference between Southern and soul for me is that soul food tastes better. Personal preference <laughs> or are we making a declarative <laughs> statement? I'm making a personal preference. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to get in too much trouble. Is there a portion of the country, I'm guessing Southern more than Northern, but – Would you say that real soul food is down in the South area or not necessarily? Yeah, well, it gets tricky because in the South, they don't really call it soul food. It's usually called Southern food or country cooking or home cooking. But to me, the ancestral homeland of soul food is really kind of the interior South, the Mississippi Delta area before you really get deep into uh, New Orleans uh, to Louisiana because I think Creole is something different. But kind of Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, that food that gets taken to other parts of the country. So really the food that you see in urban cities uh, all around the country uh, where black people uh, 
you know, settled and congregate and, and started to flourish. Let's talk a little bit about Columbus Hill and the two pieces that I read from you. One was the wildest barbecue that this country has ever seen. <laughs> and, you know, within that piece, you describe this uh, big event that was, I mean, 20,000 people were initially anticipated. 50,000 people show up, so that's a difference of 30,000 to the plus that you're probably not expecting. The right. liquor starts flowing first. But <laughs> the menu, bear, elk, items that you just don't hear about being barbecued, uh, possums by the truckload. I mean, just the <laughs> items that you don't necessarily hear about being barbecued anymore. Um, right. Kind of recap us a little bit. I, mean, I kind of glossed over at high level there, but recap us a yeah. little bit on that event and what you know or what you can tell us about Columbus Hill, the man and the pitmaster. Yeah. So let me just give a little intro to Columbus Hill himself. Yeah. So uh, he shows up in Colorado around the eight, late 1870s. And as uh, you, you find a few articles about him in the local papers. But then his biggest event was in the early 1890s, uh, July 4th weekend, 1891, when the cornerstone was laid for our state capitol building. He actually uh, does the barbecue for that. And 20,000 people show up for that. Um, and so steadily through the 1890s, he builds up this reputation. So by the time you get to the 1898, we have something called the Stock Show here in Denver that's very famous. If you grow up as a little kid here, you have to go there as, as a field trip, and it's a big deal. And uh, in, eight, in the late 1890s, it wasn't certain that Denver was going to keep the Stock Show. So the Stock Growers Association, which is the, you know, the really moneyed people in the business, decided to have a VIP barbecue. And so they brought in 10 1,000-pound steers uh, – I wrote this down uh, – two bears – <laughs> 400 pounds each, two buffaloes, four elk, seven antelope, seven mountain sheep, and 200 possum. Wow. Yeah. They wanted it to be the barbecue to end all barbecues. So there, he, Columbus Hill's in charge of this. Everything's going fine. But word gets out into the seedy part of town, which is Lodo, lower downtown Denver. And so all of these people who aren't VIP show up for this barbecue. And they smell that good cooking. And eventually this bum rush the, the cooks. And you have the governor of Colorado and the mayor of Denver getting on a platform trying to chill everybody out. And somebody decided, hey, maybe if we just give out some free beer, that will chill them out. That, that always work. works. <laughs> <laughs> and so you got to basically you have a food riot. So people throw food. Basically, the governor and the mayor had to get off the platform because they were getting pelted with food. And an all out uh, brawl just breaks out. And uh, this this was in the newspapers for several days. In fact, Columbus B. Hill's reputation took a serious hit because of just the, what happened. I don't think any of it's his fault, but he kind of took the blame for it. Um, but yeah. Do you have any idea of what this cook site looked like or, or any type of topography of how this thing was laid out? I mean, to cook the amount of food that you just laid out, sheer protein is absolutely mind-blowing. Well, so here's the thing. This is why I kind of gravitated to Columbus B. Hill because the newspapers of the day – the Denver Post, the Rocky Mountain News, and some other newspapers in Denver covered the event extensively, and they actually drew out maps of the cooking area. And so Columbus Hill's uh, method was to do the old southern trench kind of type of cooking. So there was several long trenches with bars across the top, and mm -hmm. you, you just made sure that the meat was uh, you know, turned every once in a while so it didn't get burned up. But yeah, and there are pictures of it actually um, while the cooking's going on. So it's a rare find. Because usually these things are described in maybe a paragraph or two and not in any detail. So that's why I love this story and this event. So as he is 
taking this hit, as you say, how is he able to recover going forward? Or does he ever fully recover for something like this? Uh, so from what I can tell, he really never does a big barbecue for the general population. He kind of uh, goes into the African-American culture. So almost all of the references in newspapers after that point are him really cooking for African-American audiences. In fact, my home church, Campbell Chapel African Methodist Episcopal Church, uh, is profiled in a newspaper in 1906 for a barbecue that uh, Columbus does. And uh, it, was pretty, it was a nice write-up, but he never really overcomes that in general society. So he's obviously a very accomplished pitmaster holding something that he's kind of charged with that has nothing to do with him. He's doing his job, and the people decide to let the other people get drunk, and rowdiness right. ensues, tomfoolery and shenanigans. Right, exactly. What kind of a history does Columbus have coming up? He obviously, did he live in Colorado initially? Did he move there and uh, hone his cooking skills there? What kind of an upbringing did he have? Yeah, so that's where it gets tricky because there's not a lot of documentation of his early life. And one of my quests as I write my book is to really do some more archival research and find that out. All we know is that he uh, comes from Missouri uh, and then he does a lot of barbecues all over kind of the Middle West. So he's doing barbecues in Missouri. Um, evidently, he does quite a few barbecues in Texas. When By the time he gets to the stock show, the people writing about him say, say that he's done more barbecues than anybody in the union. I don't know if that's true because there's a lot of hyperbole in those days, right? Um, so, yeah, we just don't know. We know that he's married. Um, he, he and his wife live in Denver from the 1880s on, and he and he ends up dying in the early 1920s. So other than that, we just don't really have a lot of detail about him. But these three big barbecues that he does in the 1890s are extensively covered. <laughs> so we get illustrations of him in action with a fleet of cooks around him. I mean, for this uh, stock show barbecue, I think he had 300 people wow. helping him. Can you imagine if that was covered in today's environment with social media and Facebook Live and the Barbecue Central show flying out to Colorado to cover it? He, he would be <laughs> like the most prolific pitmaster ever. Uh, yeah, and then after things go south, man, he, he would be feeling like a lot of like James Harden or all these all these athletes today, right? So yeah, um, from a barbecue Hall of Fame perspective, he was on the list. Did you happen to be the guy that voted that voted for him? Yes, I was. And and what I was trying to do is, I think the Hall of Fame needs more diversity. I think there's only one African American. Uh, there, who is Henry Perry, who deserves to be there because he's really recognized as the father of Kansas City barbecue. But um, I wanted to nominate Hill in the legacy category because uh, as I do more and more research, you look at the papers in the late 1800s, really from 1870s to the 1890s, you find all of these African-American men who are highly celebrated in the press and are known as barbecue experts. And when anybody wants to do a next level barbecue, they're going to these guys. So I thought because we had so much information about Hill uh, and these other guys usually are just like a line or two in a, you know, in an entire article. I just thought, well, he, this guy's documented. Maybe he can kind of be representative for this class of cooks who just aren't celebrated. At that time, is there a lot of documentation to be able to go back and pull names from, you know, one of the bigger, we're going to talk about the barbecue hall of fame now and why I have numerous issues. <laughs> but I thought, you know, when, when the, when uh, the American Royal bought it from whatever weird online presence was existing before that, that they should have had a huge base of inductees, hundreds uh -huh. and hundreds. So you build this great base and then you could start going in and 
inducting three or maybe five people over the course of the year. So Columbus Hill could have been putting in there, you know, and any number of people just had one big birth of this brand new edition of the Barbecue Hall of Fame. Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think there, uh, it's going to take some research to identify these folks because uh, one of my critiques of the Hall, Barbecue Hall of Fame is it's not clear to me what it is celebrating, what aspects of barbecue culture. The way it's played out, it seems to be a competitive barbecue Hall of Fame for the most part. I think if they were a little more transparent about their criteria and what they were celebrating, it would help. But to go to your early question, yeah, these uh, once you dig into the old newspapers, these names pop up. Now, again, there's not a lot written about these men, and they're pretty much have all been men to this point that I've found. Um, I think it's going to take some research to you know, go to census data, find out if he had a business, where he lived. You know, That's going to take some time. But the names are there. I mean, I found at least 10 people um, written about in several articles uh, in the late 1800s. So I, the, the, they're there. They just need to be discovered and celebrated. I shared with you the list of nominees as well. Aside from Columbus Hill, obviously you have the connection there. Were there another two people on that list that you thought should get in or that you would well, vote I thought, in? Yeah. I, from what you shared with me, I thought Matt Garner should have been um, selected. Um, and I can't remember if he actually – I know somebody nominated him, but he's recognized as the guy who jumpstarts uh, the barbecue scene in Houston. So much like Henry Perry gets credit for Kansas City, Matt Garner was really the one to get things going in um, in Houston. The other guys um, and the other woman, Helen Turner, um, who I remember, great barbecue artists. I guess my sentiment is I don't know if they were ready for the Hall of Fame because to me they've had MVP seasons. But I, for, to me, a Hall of Fame is a body of work over a long period of time. Uh, but there, you know, Rodney Scott, who just won the James Beard Award as Best Chef in the Southeast. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly great barbecue guy. Um, you know, is he hall of fame yet? I'm not so sure. Helen Turner, who's been doing her thing in, uh, West Texas or I'm sorry, West Tennessee for a long time. Very accomplished barbecuer. Um, you know, is, is she on the same level as, uh, Tootsie, I guess it, is that her name? Yeah. The woman, uh, yeah. Um, I'm not so sure, but you know, very fine people, very good at what they do. But to me, there should be some kind of just threshold for, for hall of fame. Um, you know, to be inducted there. Adrian Miller joining me here on the show. So let's talk about that just for a second, because that's also been one of my bigger sticking points is there doesn't seem to be any transparent way to gauge how you get in. You're right. nominating Columbus Hill. I, for the last four years, I've been making a run at getting me on that nomination <laughs> list to prove that soliciting names from people is probably a bad idea because I could wind up on that stage at some point making a ludicrous speech, probably calling out Guy Fieri and saying this is why the Barbecue Hall of Fame is in danger because he's in and a guy like Columbus Hill isn't. But that's neither here nor there. So if you were if they were approached and they said, hey, Adrian, help us suss out some type of grading criteria or, you know, in sports, there's definitive ways that you need things you need to hit first before you can be considered. How would you like to see that happen with the Barbecue Hall of Fame? Right. Well, so going with their existing um, categories right now. So for legacy, I would say you have to have maybe, you know, be in the barbecue game for at least 20 years um, doing your thing. Like maybe set a time um, requirement there for restaurants. um, I I think also a time factor would help. Uh, And then also mainly with the competitive stuff, I think you have to have a certain number of contests in order to make it in. Um, You know, I. I have my own mixed feelings about competitive barbecue. I, I don't know if it's a representative slice, but it's a, it's a whole thing now. 
Um, but that's a great question, man. I guess I haven't really given it deep thought, um, but I've thought more about the legacies because that's where most of the people that I want to see celebrated, uh, that's probably where they would fit in given the current categories. Um, so I think there needs to be at least a certain amount of time. And that goes to my idea that you have to have a body of work in order to be inducted. So the, I, the IBCA or the International Barbecue Cookers Association in, unveiled their own Hall of Fame maybe a little over a year ago. Oh. Do, does that kind of uh, there's a, a dilute the talent pool or make it weird for the other Hall of Fame? Or can you have multiple barbecues, Halls of Fames? Yeah, I think it would be great if we had one. Um, I think that would be cleaner and a lot easier. But uh, I'll have to look at the I, uh, IBCA. Yep. Is that what you said? Yep. Yeah. I'll have to look at what their list is. If they're more diverse, then I'm, I'm all for it because I just think that there's a lot of great people doing barbecue, and I don't think we should celebrate just a narrow slice uh, of the barbecue world. You had mentioned you're like in the process of a, of a new book. When is that going to be potentially released? Probably not till 2020. I'm on the ground floor. Okay. Yeah, so I'm just getting started. I'm, I'm going to do uh, barbecue research trips, and the number of trips depends on the advance that I get from publishers. So I'm, I'm still negotiating the book deal itself. But I know there's some places I definitely want to go because the stories are there. Um, but I hope to hit at least seven cities, maybe even up to 15. Um, and, and a couple of things that I'm looking at are, one, are there is there a, a separate African-American barbecue aesthetic that kind of plays out regardless of region. Personally, my own bias going into this, and my I should say my theory, yeah. is that when you go to an African-American barbecue joint, you're pretty much expecting ribs, chicken, and sausage. I don't think most people are expecting brisket. Now, that may be changing because brisket is so popular, mm -hmm. but we'll see. Um, and I want to find these entrepreneurs that have been doing their thing. Um, unlike, I think, other segments of our population, um, women have been big time in African-American barbecue. For a long time. And so I'm going to celebrate that. I'm going to do a chapter on church barbecue. For whatever reason, a lot of people called to preach the word of God want to think, believe that they're called to smoke meat as well. So I want to dive into that. Uh, so, yeah, I'm excited, man. Um, you know, when I did my soul food research, I went to 150 um, soul food restaurants. In, but often I would go eat barbecue because barbecue is my first love. So I've done a lot of research in the areas you think about. But um, I don't think areas that have a lot of African-American barbecue people, places like Chicago and Houston, aren't, I don't think they're celebrated. Hmm. When you say Texas barbecue, I think people automatically go to Central Texas. Correct. Adrian Miller joining me here on the show. You can find him on the Twitter at Soul Food Scholar. Definitely worth a follow if you want some insightful, good, solid stuff, not the uh, mindless drivel that you get all around Twitter otherwise. Uh, and he's a first-timer right here on the show. Adrian, really appreciate the time tonight. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you so much. Peace. You got it. There he is, Adrian Miller. First timer bringing the heat. All guests like appear it. via the Traeger Grills hotline. Like it. Yes. Yummy. <clears throat> so we're talking about diversity here on the show, of course. And he's in the middle, or as he said, on the ground floor of a new book. So we will file the progress there. Got a feeling that's not going to be his last time on the show if he wants to come back. Ben Volpe coming up out of the break. Let me talk to you quickly about Big Papa Smokers, the one-stop online shop for all things barbecue. Their curated selection of only the best outdoor cooking and grilling supplies get you on the path to better barbecue results in no time. Everything at BigPapaSmokers.com has been Pitmaster approved by Sterling Big Papa Ball himself from award-winning rubs and sauces to American-made grill smokers. 
Big Papa's has something you need or want to be a better outdoor cook. How about spices and seasoning? Certainly, they have the Big Papa Smokers line, Sweet Money, Cattle Prod, Cash Cow, just a few names, all proven on the competition circuit and in the backyard. They just wanted my backyard over the weekend. Also, if you want to improve your competition barbecue recipes, Big Papa's has combined forces with fellow rub company Simply Marvelous Barbecue to form what is now known as the West Coast Offense. If you're looking for a brand new sauce, how about the award-winning Granny's Barbecue Sauce? Looking for a new go-to barbecue sauce that will please everyone? Granny's traditional yet powerful flavors remind us why we fell in love with barbecue in the first place. You can find Granny's Barbecue Sauce and other top-rated barbecue sauces at BigPapaSmokers.com. And aside from their premium selection of rubs and sauces, they got cookers. How about a versatile one known as the Mac 2-Star Pellet Grill? That's right. Big Papa Smokers is the exclusive Mac dealer and even offers special packages. Not a fan of pellet smokers? Take a look at the old Hickory Ace BP. It's the only charcoal smoker that Big Papa trusts on his competition barbecue trailer. And if you're a backyard hack like me looking for a durable and versatile grill that will last forever, the M-Grill from Texas is just what you need. They're built like tanks, seen them in person. Not sure what kind of grill you need? Can't go wrong with any of those that are featured on BigPapaSmokers.com. They have something for every kind of backyard cook and budget. It's basically clear that Big Papa Smokers is the place to go for all things barbecue. Every product featured on their website, hand-selected to help you barbecue better. Any questions, give them a call at 877-828-0727. That's 877-828-0727. Or shop their website, BigPapaSmokers.com. That's B-I-G-P-O-P-P-A Smokers.com. Type 1 Diabetes and Ben Volpe Talk coming up right out of the break. Stick around. Now, let's get back to the LeBron James and Barbecue Talk. Craig Rampey. This portion of the show being brought to you by CookingPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all of your pellet-driven cookers. Traegers and Green Mountains and Cook Shanks and Cook Camp Chefs and you name it. You can get them at CookingPellets.com or you can purchase... At Amazon.com as well. little upstart. You ever heard of it? Cookingpellets.com. Don't forget to download their free app. This show is by and large a barbecue and grilling show covering the various activities of the industry. But it's not always a barbecue and grilling show. Over the past number of years, you've gotten to know my cousin Scott Volpe, who has a son that was diagnosed with type 1 juvenile diabetes about eight years ago. And he comes on to talk about that life change and... What him and his wife, Aaron, have had to do from that point forward this year. Scott, handing the reins to the man himself, Ben, to come on and talk about it. And yes, once again, I am asking for your support here in a financial sense. This is a link on the Facebook page that my guys are sharing right now, so be sure to hit that up. Let's go ahead and race to the hotline and welcome first-timer to the show, Ben Volpe. Ben, how are you, buddy? Good. How are you? I'm doing absolutely fabulous, Ben. Appreciate you making time this evening. I'm not keeping you up late from like school or anything. Are you Are you out right now? No, no, no. I I, I think I end next week. You think you don't have that like marked down, ready to go, counting down the hours? 
It's a, it's a little fuzzy by the end of the year. Yeah, I hear that. Uh, I was once there about 100 years ago, so uh, I, I dig <laughs> it. I dig it. So, uh, Ben, a lot of different places we want to run here tonight. And I guess first and foremost, let's talk about Ben's Avengers. Uh, where did the name come from? And, of course, have you ever thought about using that secondarily as a name for a rock band? <laughs> well, no. I've been I've been trying to play the guitar for about a year. I think I learned what one of the strings was called. But um, great. Ben's Avengers. The name actually came from my dad. We were just watching the Avengers movie, thinking of a name, and it just sort of popped in there. So you're going to be doing this uh, big juvenile diabetes research foundation walk on June 10th, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, is that the correct date? Uh, yes. Okay, and then there is also uh, each year you guys set your financial goal. What's the monetary goal that you're looking to hit this year? Uh, the goal for this year is $6,000, but we're not against raising it if we have to. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. I heard that. Um, where is the current donation pool at right now? Like how much do we need to overcome or how much do we need to make up gap-wise to at least hit the goal before we start putting you over? So far, we've raised about $3,700 this year. Nice. And you're traditionally like one of the, the high watermark earners within your group, right? Uh, yeah, we're usually up in the top three. If you don't mind, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about type 1 diabetes, you know, a little bit of a, a brief outline or description. I think there can be some confusion with people that don't really have a lot of big medical background. You hear a lot about type 2 diabetes. You hear about type 1 when somebody like has it because you hear, oh, that's real dangerous. And I'm sure type two obviously is uh, dangerous in its own accord, but what can you tell us about the differences between the two? Well, for starters, type one diabetes can be mostly hereditary, but um, that's not to say type two can't be either. Type one, there is no cure. It's permanent. You have to live with it for the rest of your life. But type two can sometimes be fluctuated with dieting and exercise and all that sort of stuff. So you just like hit the diabetes lottery. Great. Uh, yeah, yeah, Great. pretty much. I'm a naturally unlucky person. <laughs> yeah. um, so let's go ahead and, I mean, it was eight years ago, right, that you were first diagnosed. So you're, are you 14 now or 15? Uh, yeah, 14. Okay, so you were like six years old when this happened, so I don't know like where the recollection meter falls here, but do you remember when you went to the doctor or do you remember anything like leading up to the diagnosis where you felt sluggish or didn't feel like you had normally felt prior to getting that diagnosis? Well, most, the most obvious symptom was I was, see, I, I was lucky. I was just seeing spots. I, my doctor caught it early and was able to check my sugar before I would get into the 700s or anything. I was only at like 200 something. Mm -hmm. The, the most I remember from the hospital, though, that day was just wanting chicken fingers for a long time. <laughs> but I did, I did remember really having no idea what it was for a long time, but I, I learned quick. So was it like, you know, a year before you understood or was it even like longer than like a couple of years and you just had your parents coming in and sticking you with this thing all the time? Well, at first, I was terrified of the needles, which is not good considering I would have to poke myself in the finger about five, six, seven times a day. Yeah. I, I started wearing Band-Aids on all my fingers where I'd poke myself. By the end of a week, I would have Band-Aids on every finger. But 
I, it took me about a month to sort of get an understanding of what was happening. And once again, I got really lucky. I didn't get sick or anything. I didn't need to use insulin for like almost five months. Ben Volpe joining me here on the show. If you are on Facebook right now and my embedded correspondents have put up those links, please feel free to click on those and help donate here. Let's uh, generate as much as we can during these two hours, a little telethon thing going on. Uh, ben, so how does a testing process or a day-to-day you know, look like for you, and, and how has that evolved from when it was probably mostly your parents taking out. I mean, now you're 14, you have uh, more of a, a buy-in on your end to make sure that things are going right. And you have now a, a whole bunch of experience behind you. How has that process started to how it began to where you're at today? Well, when it first began, I, I didn't do much of it myself. My parents would have to check me in the fingers, but now I do it almost without thinking. It's like a second nature. I have to check myself before I eat and give myself insulin through an injection shot or my insulin pump. And I have to check during the night a couple times to make sure I don't go low or high during the night. That's usually my parents' job. But other than that, I can change my injection site myself and I've really just got a handle on it to the point where I can do most of it independently. So, Medical technology has obviously, you know, every year it gets better. It gets better. There weren't pumps back in the day. It was all shots, I would imagine, at one point. has was, yeah. the, was the pump like a really big deal for you both in like, oh, my God, I have this thing on me now? To I mean, I get it. It's going to help me keep me safe and kind of do some things that I take responsibility off of me. But then on the other hand, you're like, damn it, I got to wear this pump. And, you know, like Johnny and Timmy don't have to wear this. Why do I have to wear it? Yeah, I have been told it looks like a fanny pack when I wear it around my waist, but um, <laughs> it you get used to it. At first, I was a little bummed that I had to wear it, but I got used to not having to get a needle every time I wanted to eat something. But, because before, the only way to get the insulin in to cover the food that I was eating was through an injection shot. Mm. But by using this insulin pump, I only have to change it every two or three days. So it gives me a break on my end, and it's way easier than calculating out and doing all the math and everything. So this is something you just like take off the top. It's like a sub-Q kind of a stick or a, or a patch or something like that? Yeah. The way the one I use right now is a little pot, like a plastic pod. that has, It's like almost like an IV. It sticks the needle in you and then inserts a little tube and pulls the needle right out <laughs> so the insulin can go through the machine into the tube and into my body. And that does it automatically? Um, yeah, I have to put in how many carbs I'm eating so that it cal- and then it calculates the correct amount of insulin in accordance with how many wow. units per carb I usually intake. So not only are you having to worry about the medicine, but you're also like nutritionist Ben. You have to calculate carbs and sugars and all this other stuff. You just can't eat what you want and then hope everything's good. Yeah, I don't. It's not as bad as a lot of people really think. I just have to read the carb count labels and count out all my cereal and servings and everything in a day. What is that the biggest drag is not just being able to be a little bit spontaneous. You, you kind of have to have something in the back of your mind to keep you on guard so something bad doesn't happen? Yeah, I, I honestly think it's helped me, though, in the long run. I'll be more aware, and honestly, I'll be more prepared for life. 
from a activities perspective, I mean, a lot of people that are listening here to the show don't know who you are, and I don't want them like following you or anything like that on social media because it's creepy. But I get to watch you. I mean, you're highly active. You're kind of a decorated athlete. So having this hasn't also stymied any of your other activities. You're a high level functioning teenager. Yeah. Um, it, it can get in the way, but I've just learned to sort of move through it. Like for soccer, it'll pull me off the field if I'm low or anything, but I'll get right back into it for, I just ran a half marathon the other week and it was a bummer because every couple miles I would have to stop. I think I had to stop like four or five times to check my blood sugar and make sure I wasn't going low. And to the point where I was getting dizzy while running, but other than that, it just sort of, you just got to power through it. Hey, you want to hear a fun fact? Sure. I ran a half marathon two weeks ago. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Good for you. Have you ever, have you ever thought like, why me? Or can you not live like that? Um, I, I used to, for a while I used to, because for a long time, I was the only person I ever knew who really had this thing. But then I realized it's not so bad. I can get used to it, and it'll prepare me for more dangerous things in the long run. Do you think it was awesome that your parents were sacrificing? This is where I'm going to stick up for your dad. Um, that your parents would come in like overnight, and I guess it's from what you just said, it sounds like they're still coming in uh, once or twice in the middle of the night to, to check you out to make sure that everything's good. Obviously, they have the vested interest in keeping their kid healthy because it's their kid. But, I mean, trust me, I know some parents of uh, – I know a dad who has type 1 diabetes and his kids have it. He is very irresponsible. Your dad might have shared some stories about this uh, peach. But you have people, you have parents that are invested and good support systems. So it's kind of important, right, To when you're diagnosed here and you're doing your part, you want to have that good support system behind you, right? Definitely. I mean, it honestly means the world to me because – it allows me to sleep during the night like a normal kid instead of worrying about it, honestly. I, for a while, I used to be worried about going low in the middle of the night, but then I realized they wouldn't, they wouldn't ever let me do that. So Ben Volpe joining me here on the show. Ben, are there telltale signs you had talked about seeing spots, um, not necessarily from a sugar standpoint, but are there anything that you know or that you can share with our listeners here tonight that if something feels like this or looks like this, you want to go and get checked? Well, one, frequent urination. It's a pain in the butt, but you, you ha- you'll have frequent urination. I still have it all the time. But um, if you ever have, like, really bad stomach aches for long periods of time, just go to the doctors and get your sugar checked. Maybe even, like, vomiting, nausea. It, it really depends headaches, all kinds of stuff. So there's really like no one telltale sign that says, oh, you definitely have it or, oh, you definitely don't. You just kind of kind of monitor, and if you're seeing some of these symptoms, as you'd mentioned, go ahead and get checked out for safety's sake. Right. Yep. Um, this is a barbecue and grilling show, Ben. I didn't know if you knew that, but do you have favorite barbecue or grilled foods? You know, I, I do like possum, but I got to say I'm going to go <laughs> That is such board. a lie. What are you talking about? <laughs> It's a great pull. He said possum in case anybody missed it. Uh, you're So you're a fan of pulled pork? Yes. Um, okay, so now we're really going to dig into the depths here. How is that prepared? 
Um, does, is, well, yeah. does the word crockpot happen to grace our dictionary? No, no, no. My oh, uncle, oh, okay. my uncle has a smoker. He's he smoked pulled pork before. It was it was really good. Is this this is your mom's brother, right? My mom's sister's husband. Your mom's sister's husband. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I knew there was no way that uh, Bill Volpe was smoking anything. Well, that's not true. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, ben Volpe <laughs> is here on the show. We're talking about type 1 diabetes, and we are appealing to you for fundraising this evening all the way through the show. So the links are up on my Facebook page as you're watching this live video here this evening. I'm asking that you're clicking on either the juvenile, am I saying that right, the J. JDRF website link that we have also through the Facebook page and make sure you give barbecue central a shout out as you're donating. So Ben can see that the central lights are in full force, but man, you did it. You were awesome. You brought the heat, brought the information, really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I just want to thank everyone who's donated so far and for the upcoming donations. It means a lot. All right, Ben. Thanks, man. Yep. There he is. Ben Volpe. I don't know about you, but my man nailed it. All guests it. appear via the Traeger Grills hotline. I'm going to be honest. <clears throat> 14 <clears throat> years old. I don't know what to expect from 14 years old. I got to be honest. Could have been. Could have been. Yep. Nope. Not really. Uh-oh. I'd be like, oh, 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 oh. Nope. Ben's a good guest. I mean, I would rather not be talking about that with him because he has it. We would rather wipe type one off the face of the earth if possible. That's why we want you to donate tonight. We want the tally. Hit up the links for JDRF on the Facebook page and also for the Facebook donations that the embedded correspondents are kicking up there during the feed. Let me talk to you quickly about the Barbecue Guru. They have always believed that outdoor cooking should be easy because it can be, especially with the Monolith Barbecue Guru Edition Grill. Now, what is that, you ask? Let me tell you. The Monolith is the world's first temperature-controlled smoker with built-in power draft fan. This means smarter control and greater freedom with automatic temperature controls. Easily choose your cooking time and temperature and let the monolith do the work of a sous chef or a barbecue pitmaster. With minimal effort, you now have oven-like precision at the grill and can serve the tastiest, juiciest meals each and every time. Here's how you do it. You hit the website bbqguru.com. That's bbqguru.com or call 800-288-GURU. That's 800-288-GURU. If you have any questions, if you don't buy the monolith you already had an existing cooker and you want to put a guru temperature control device on it don't guess if you have any questions call them get the first class customer support that i've been seeing on facebook recently guru's getting hyped up with our customer support which i love then you can make sure that you're getting the right stuff they'll have you up and running right out of the box now if you get the monolith and you already have a guru temperature controller you don't have to go buy a new controller you can use the one that you have Wire it to the fan, and away you go. Plus, the monolith comes with a crazy amount of great accessories, a nest. You're not just getting the cooker and then, hey, you're going to have to buy thousands of dollars worth of accessories to to actually make this thing usable. No, we're not rolling like that here. The website, bbqguru.com, the phone number, 800-288-GURU. 
We're back to wrap the first hour. Stick around. I'll be right back. advice on cooking brisket and ribs and the only host willing to share his honest opinion on all things important in the world of barbecue it's the barbecue central show hey the national barbecue news is dedicated to all things barbecue their goal is to introduce new people to the barbecue world while keeping the barbecue enthusiasts and professional informed on all the current happenings in and around barbecue nation They obtain this goal by offering timely new stories, new product reviews, barbecue event calendar, and unique recipes inside their printed products, websites, social media pages, and email newsletters. Subscribe now by visiting barbecuenews.com. That's barbecuenews.com. Kale felt! Kale! John Dawson weighing in, subject line, you know you're dedicated when you strap on the cans to catch BCRN live at your daughter's commencement. John, what are you doing? Dad, did you see me when they called my name? No, no. I was listening to Rempy rant about some frivolous whatnot. No, honey, I missed that part when you got the diploma. Rempy was talking about Columbus Hill smoking bear and possums. Uh-oh. I missed it. Can you go back and do that again? John, look at you, man. Appreciate you. Shout out. John Dawson. At his daughter's commencement, listening to the show in Boise. Uh-oh. Damn, John. Dangerous. Living dangerous. All right. Thanks again to my last segment guest, Ben Volpe, for joining me. Again, pump the brakes on the barbecue, although we did talk a little bit of possum barbecue, very little bit, right at the end. That was great. So please, if you're watching on the Facebook feed, go ahead and hit up the links. There is a Facebook donation page, so if you're on Facebook, easy to go there, right? All legitimate. Or if you want to make sure it's double legit, click on the JDRF link that is also being put in the feed and donate something. Five bucks, ten bucks, a hundred bucks. Again, if you can show that you make a $500 donation all by yourself. Prove it to me. I will match your $500 donation with $500 of my own. Cash money. I got it in the bank. You know I got it in the bank. I got it. All right, we're loading up here for the second hour. We may or may not have a special sports guest at the top of the hour. I don't like to talk sports too much on the show. But given recent events, and if I can actually raise him up, we'll be talking about some sporting stuff. Anyway, listening and watching the Barbecue Central show right here on the Barbecue Central Network. Stick around. Be right back.